All right, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here today. We pray that you would bless this time in your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would work through your spirit, through your word, to strengthen our faith and help us to live as your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so this is, this is my, uh, my last week until probably um, maybe as late as December. Um, it, you know, it really kind of depends. Um, I, I think I'm teaching until the middle of November in the confirmation class, but I know I'm going away for the weekend after uh, Thanksgiving. There's something going on in my family that I have to be at. Yeah. <laughs> A wedding, yes. Uh, and uh, um, so uh, we're going to get into Romans 14 and uh, get this started. Uh, but uh, before we get into that, was there anything valuable that were something that stuck with you from, from last week that maybe meant something during the week that just passed? Well, there was, but I left it at home. Well, I'm glad to know that there was something. <laughs> All right. And, and I, will, I will resist the temptation when I come back to ask if there was anything about this session. <laughs> Okay, a little bit of a longer reading. I'm not saying that we're going to get entirely through this reading, but I think that this is, this is a discrete chunk. And in fact, all of Romans 14 kind of hits with this same theme, uh, but we're going to get you know, roughly the first half uh, in, in terms of what I'm going to read here, and then we're going to start getting into it. Welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat. And one who does not eat must not judge the one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another household's servant? Before his own Lord he stands or falls, and he will stand, because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat. For, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we all stand before the we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account to of himself to God. So kind of kind of some big things there about fellowship and being connected to one another uh, as people within the church. Uh, it starts out with the word welcome. Um, when I looked at this in the, uh, in, in the Greek, it's, I, I would be more inclined to translate it as receive, 
but it's not too hard, you know, if you receive somebody, you're welcoming them. I, I understand why they chose that word. Uh, but I feel like receive has a little bit of a different emphasis to it. It's not just, hey, glad you're here today. You know, there's, there's an active, um, you know, engagement with the person. You know, if you welcome somebody well, you know, there's an active engagement with the person. But uh, I think sometimes we can welcome people in a very dismissive way even. You know, hey, glad you're here. Boom, moving on. Um, and, uh, and the like. And this word welcome, I think it controls th this, this whole next section all the way into chapter 15. Because when we get to 15 verse 7, uh, it says, Therefore, welcome one another, just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. You know, I think that this, this whole section, you tie it back to chapter 12, where it, it talks about uh, in light of the promises of God, and it continues through it. It's just a subsection of that to say, this is about our relationship with one another, that we welcome each other, we receive each other. We're part of the, he doesn't use this language, but uh, part of the body of Christ, and we belong together, we're connected together, and, uh, and, and therefore, um, you know, we greet one another and we care about one another and we receive one another. So I think that this is a, a really important principle for us to consider uh, as the church. And so I'm just going to throw out a question. How, how, do we, how do we welcome people? Talk to them. We, okay, we talk to them. If you have the right relationship, you might hug them, yep. A smile is just a good place to start. Yep. I think being is important. Okay. Expand on that if you would. Well, you're, you're acknowledging who they are and their name, and you're giving your name to... Yeah, so if it's, if it's somebody that's new, you introduce yourself, right? Name, name, you know. Um, if it's not somebody that's new, you might call them by name, and it's good to see you today, right? You know, to speak to somebody that way, it, names matter. Um, there, was, there was a lady in my, my church in, in Michigan, and, uh, oh, um, I'm blanking on her name. Um, it, it was a very formal name. Uh, oh, it was Virginia. And, uh, uh, and the, the paperwork that I saw when I you know, learned who she was had the name Virginia up at the top. Uh, everybody called her Ginny. But I only knew Virginia. And I bet you it was a solid year before she said, you're the only person in the whole world since my mom died that calls me Virginia. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I, you know, and she's like, no, I love it. It's just kind of that, you know, an acknowledgement of, of who she is before the Lord, and, you know, and, and she, that's how she received it. Other people may not have received, you know, that type of a thing the same way, um, but, uh, uh, you know, it was kind of a neat thing. That's my name, you know, and, and here I am receiving the Lord's Supper. 
the same name that I was baptized in. It was kind of cool. Yeah, Ed. Uh, my previous church, Pastor's wife, her name was Norma, but nobody ever called her Norma. She was Susie. Yeah. Don't know how they got Susie. Okay. But he eventually retired. And so someone came in from the city, ELCA said, not, not, not. Oh, believe me. <laughs> yeah. and, and gave a talk, and, and he sort of tried to make it sound like he had known closely for decades, you know, and then he came to the end and he says, so I hope you and Norma have a lot of good times together, everyone. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, we have um, cookies and bagels and coffee. Come join us, yeah. Ken. I was visiting a church once when Sue and our sons were sick or something, and I visited the first time, and a guy said, do you want to sit with me in my pew? Sure, and we ended up becoming very good friends and joining the church. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. What else? Anything? Well, show them around the church, too. Okay. Um, it, it could be as, as simple as, uh, oh, by the way, if you need them, the restrooms are down there. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, some of the necessities, you know, type of things, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a big part of welcoming and receiving people um, is to think outwardly toward what might their needs be. You know. Remember what I was going that helps. Yeah. Ask you know. them about themselves. Yeah. Where are you from? Glad you're here today. Yeah. Yeah. Then they say, oh, we're from a call committee from another church. And you say, the exit is right over there. Or here's a good seat. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, just, I think it's also important not to be overwhelmed. Yeah. That can be a real turnoff. You go to a church and you're smothered yeah, and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah, there there is a balancing point there, isn't there? A pledge card. A guest sign in, yes. The pledge card. Maybe wait a week. Before coming here, Ron and I went to a church twice, once to the early service and once to the late service. They handed him a brochure on his way out and we got a request for a pledge card. We got a pledge card in the mail. Oh. Wow. Oh, I don't understand why. <laughs> yeah, I do. So there is a there is definitely a misconception that the only thing the church cares about is you know somebody's money. You know, and when I when I'm confronted with that, I'm like, I often will say something to the effect of, No, 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 it, it's much worse than that. Yeah. You know, we want your whole yeah. life, con, you know, dedicated and you know to, to Jesus. Um, but. Um, but you know, a situation like that would just really rather confirm that the only thing they care about is your wallet. You know. People who bought the house from the Longa that the Longa that place Methodist, they said, "Don't go to that church. I want to go go to the one that." Now I want you to notice when Paul says this, 
he says welcome or, or receive any you know somebody he, he says receive the one who is weak in faith um, I, I want you to think about who this is written to it's written to the church in Rome right um, it's a church that is a mixture of Jews and Gentiles a multi-ethnic church um, it's written to Christians it's written to believers and the assumption is that you are welcoming somebody who is also a Christian a believer somebody who's in the faith but maybe at a different place in their journey of faith? Or as he puts it, someone who is weak in faith, uh, which we might say maybe less mature in faith, or you know, there's a, you know, a number of different ways that we can think about this. The trick is that we tend to put value on that you know, oh, they're weak in faith, so they're you know, beneath, and you know, we you know, prioritize and categorize, and, and he says, receive them welcome even the one who's weak in faith not in order to you know get the pecking order together but because they're your brother or sister in Christ and that, that help lift them up it might you know and, and help them in their faith growth yeah and and this is part He's going to talk a little bit about food and, uh, um, and what day you worship on. And he actually expands on this in his letter to the, letters to the Corinthians. Okay? Which is interesting because we believe that he writes this from Corinth. You know, so there are a couple places where there are some themes that kind of play off of those two books where he goes in much greater depth uh, like uh, we talked a while back about some comments that he made about love being similar to 1 Corinthians 13. Um, you know, and 1 Corinthians 13 is very expansive. There's these 17 things about what love is or what isn't and you know, all of that. And, you know, um, and I, think, I think he's got something similar in his mind here, particularly dealing with food. And when we receive people... Um, and we live our faith and you know we're like i have strong faith and i can do this there is the potential that we can hurt somebody you know and so you know receiving them where they're at you know it, it, it can take some wisdom isn't it more remarkable that, that someone weak in faith is there yeah that this is a precious opportunity that it must be nurtured gently you know yeah yeah, um, this is something I, I'm, I'm kind of rattling around in my mind. I'm thinking a lot about you know the development of the Christian faith and what we might call a discipleship process. Um, when uh, when I was a kid, I, you know, growing up Lutheran, you know, you go to Sunday school and you go to confirmation class, and a lot of that tends to be really intellectual. And uh, you know, of course, then you know college you know seminary very much you know you're you're you 
writing papers and you know, it, 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 it's, it's a lot of head stuff. Um, and uh, I did, I was blessed to have a, a mentor in college that very much was focused on the heart stuff. You know, okay, you know all the right things, that's great. You know, how does that translate into loving your neighbor? How does that translate into living your faith, your priorities, you know, all of those kinds of, of things. And, uh, um, yeah, and as I look at how we study the word, and, and I think that is good and it's right, I think we need to hear the word and, and, and to receive it and to believe it. If that's all we do with it, there's a disconnect. I think um, somebody once said that the, uh, the, the longest 18 inches in the world is between your head and your heart. And the next is between your heart and your hand. So things you know to the things that you believe and work out in love, and that love then is seen in action. And uh, when we start talking about welcoming people and dealing with other people, it's very much about love and, and, and action. But it also comes back to the things that you know, we have going on up here that we, we know doctrinally and, and the like. So this is talking about fellow believers. They're coming uh, in, into a, a fellowship. It's a different setting than what we have. Uh, remember that when Paul is writing this, the church is just getting started. Um, there is a certain amount of persecution, but the great persecutions have not really happened yet. You know, there, there's been some persecution back in like Jerusalem, but like the big, big state Roman Empire persecutions, uh, they're still a little bit off into the future, okay? And uh, the people are gathering, but as they gather, they don't really have buildings. You know, they're meeting in homes, and that's a different vibe, isn't it? When you come to somebody's house for like, you know, a Christ care or a small group Bible study or, or something like that, it's, it's, a, it's a very different feeling. Um, and uh, he tells them to receive the people and their fellow believers who come to no, no matter where they are on their faith journey. And uh, I think that the principle, uh, you know, it has to do with love. And a friend of ours once said, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And we hear that and we rightly hear that we love, we're to love everyone. But I think that there is a different relationship when it comes to dealing with people who are also in faith in Jesus. You know, we have a, uh, a brotherhood with all humanity and that we're all created and we have the same Heavenly Father. But it's a different relationship in being redeemed by the same Savior and having the same hope in His forgiveness. You know, so at the Last Supper, when Jesus is there with the disciples, he speaks specifically to the disciples. A new command I give you, those gathered here, believers, love one another. And, you know, it's, I think it's part of this idea that we have a fellowship, which, again, this is a word that has shifted in its meaning. Um, when I hear the word fellowship, I tend to think, you know, food, fun, uh, relaxation, you know, the church picnic is a fellowship event. 
Um, but the word in Greek for in the New Testament for a fellowship is the word koinonia. And that's a big, big word. And it doesn't just mean that you kind of like enjoy being together. It, it literally means that you kind of belong together and belong to one another. Which fits nicely with some of the things that uh, Paul writes in Corinthians again uh, about being the body of Christ. And the hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. No, there's a, there's a, a real connection there. And, and when we deal with our brothers and sisters in Christ, this idea that we love one another, um, it, it shows in how we receive each other. Ed. I don't know how, how far back you go in ancient glory today history, but before there was praise, there was a folk song. Okay. Folks, you know, just acoustic guitar and drums, you know, more like folksy type folk music services. And that was the Koinonian Choir. Okay. Did you guys do the uh, the, uh, the Chicago Sometimes. liturgy? Yeah, I, mean, I think we sort of tended to stay away from that. No, okay. That, I don't know. There was some. There was some stuff by Ray Rep that got a little. It was just a little too juicy. Because <laughs> the Chicago stuff had some fun stuff in it that was, yeah, I think, pretty I darn think good. We, but. we may have done some of Chicago. We did a lot of Western Prior. Okay. Which. Uh, was one of John Bellamy's favorite places. Okay. Yeah. So he continues, um, welcome or receive one another, um, or the one who is weak in faith, not for argument. Um, the, the word has a range of meaning, uh, not for separation, discrimination, not for quarreling, not for judgment. And that last one's the one that I think they all add to the picture, but the last one I think is, is the one that might be the most helpful in this context. The idea is, you know, you're, you're not welcoming, welcoming them, as I said earlier, to set up your pe pecking order. You know, oh, look at me, I'm the mature Christian, you know, and so on. Um, the word is actually related to the word judge. And when we read through chapter 14, it doesn't come through because, you know, different language. But that word judge and words that are related to it will come up seven more times. Informing back into that word that what we're, what we're talking about, how we judge one another within the body of Christ. Because ultimately, when we think about being in the body of Christ and being fellow believers, what is the judgment that has been pronounced upon us according to Romans? The first eight chapters. There's a key word I used the first year and a half over and over and over again. It starts with an R. Next letter is an I. Righteous. Righteous. That's, that's, that's the judgment, ultimately. And how are we righteous? God's grace. For, yeah, for Christ's sake, by God's grace. And we something we receive by faith. So the person who comes into the uh, the assembly, even if they're weak in faith, where do they stand before God? They're righteous for Christ's sake, by His grace, because they've received that by faith. So what he's talking about now is how then does that get lived out? 
What does the obedience look like? Um, you know, so we're not looking at other people's obedience in order to say, well, I'm not a very good Christian. It's, these are my fellow righteous people, and we've got some things maybe we need to sort out, or maybe we just need to receive the person exactly where they're at, and they're fine. It is. I, I do. I think it's really huge, and, and it's uh, you know, it, it's hard not to let that influence you in a friendship too. It is. And stuff. So that's where that's one of that's a struggle for you know a struggle for me that this is addressing. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you weren't at early service, right? No. I have an announcement that I make <laughs> at the first part of the service. And uh, thank you, thank you. So, so Kathy, please don't think that I brought that up specifically because of what what you said. Uh, it's something that has been on my mind for about a week because of something that happened last weekend, um, and uh, just it, that that very topic needs to be addressed. And so, yeah, it is. It's a struggle. Yeah. The next question is: Can you love and not necessarily like? Mm, that's tricky, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. Can you separate? Um, can you separate things that are important but not ultimately important? It will like, like love and not agree. Might be. That's another. Yeah. yeah. You know, love and not like, but love and not agree. I watched a. Uh, I watched a. a my my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law are all in for Robert Kennedy, okay? So they sent me a video, an interview, and, and I watched it, and it, so I don't remember who the reporter was, but she, she started going after him with the vaccine stuff because he's, he, he's got some interesting views about vaccines and, uh, and, uh, you know, and just really kind of went after him. And, uh, um, and at some point, she brings up uh, some quotes from family members. And Your family or her family? His family. Things that they've said against him, you know, and his, his stance on this. And she says, how do you feel about that? And he says to her, does your family agree with everything that you do? And she's like, no. <laughs> You know, yeah, but they're still family, and they still love each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's, an old, there's an old pop song about, I don't like you, but I love you. <laughs> I don't know that one. I might have to look it up. <laughs> that was more in the context of romantic love. Okay. You know, maybe blinded by the lust. Yeah, you know, okay. Like you, but, wow, you know. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Sue. Choice, right? It's a choice, but to 
Yeah, you know, I, I think though that there's a different level when we start talking about within the church because of that connection that we have in Jesus. Um, so I, I think within the church that we want to have a higher degree of, of love for one another than we do for the people who are, you know, trying to harm us type of a thing. Um, but, but yeah, sometimes it's really hard to like people. Sometimes it's really hard to like ourselves. <laughs> like is, almost seems like more of an earthly thing. Um, and, and love is, I think, beyond that. Uh, yeah, I think in scriptural terms, when we hear the word love, again, this is going to depend upon context, but in the New Testament, most of the time, the word we translate as love is agape. And my working definition for agape is desiring um, God's blessings and his best for somebody else. And you can do that, you know, without... When we're raising our kids, we're always constantly saying, I love you, but I don't like your behavior. That's yeah, that's part of it, too. And that's, I think that's how, over time, people can get to the point where they're accepting of that person, but it might take 10 years or 20 years or 50 years for them to get to that. Well, and, and I think another thing to remember when we're dealing with uh, particularly fellow believers um, is that the Holy Spirit is working in them. And he continues to teach and he continues to shape us. You know, and, and so maybe somebody's not at the same place that you are, but in time, you know, and, and maybe you're in the exact right spit, you know, space that you should be on that particular thing. But the Holy Spirit is working, maybe guiding that person to get there eventually. You know, um, I, we don't change people by forcing them to conform. You know, the Holy Spirit changes people, you know, by transforming their hearts. And, uh, and, and that's the process that's going on when we're in the church and we're gathering around the word and the sacraments. And I think that this is something that's hard to trust. It's hard to trust that God is at work in somebody else's life when you don't like where they're at, you don't like the things that they're thinking and they're saying, and, you know, and, and so clearly they must be possessed by the devil. And uh, you know, uh, no, no, not necessarily. You know, um, he, he goes. He goes on. You know, talking about welcoming. You know, not for the sake of you know judgment over opinions, over things that are disputed, over over convictions. Um, I think that uh, I think that probably opinions is too weak of a translation of the word that's there. I think disputed matters is okay, but only um, only insofar as the uh, the dispute is within uh, faithfulness. It, it's not contrary uh, to God's word. You know, if we're like, oh, I don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. Well, that's not a disputed matter. No, that, that's core to the faith. You know, you, you, that's, you're outside of the faith. You know, you're, you know that's, that's a whole different issue. You know, so um, I, I like the idea of convictions. I didn't come up with this. I, I, got, that in a, a, I got this in a commentary. Because convictions are about how we live in view of the mercies of God. 
which is what this whole section is about. Going back to chapter 12, right? In view of the mercies of God, live this way. Um, and so the convictions are about, okay, I'm a person who has received God's mercy and his grace. Look at all of the blessings that he's poured out on me. And then we're going to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. We're not conforming to this age, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the context that we're talking about, that, that we have going on here. And that's, I think, when we receive our fellow Christians here at church, you know, it's the same type of a thing. We're presenting our bodies, living sacrifices, we're not conforming to the age, we're being transformed. And, and so when people come in and they have different, different views on things, I think it's really important for us to remember the Eighth Commandment. You should not bear false witness especially how Luther explains it in the small catechism, which we've all agreed, well, you, you two haven't yet, but uh, hopefully in the fall after we get through everything, you will agree, um, but, uh, um, but the rest of us have stood before the congregation and said, this is what we believe, um, that we should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbors, betray him, slander him, hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way, or put the best construction on everything. Yeah. That's the way I learned it. That's the way my dad preached it at the table. My dad was an electrician, but he was a preacher. Make no mistake, especially for his kids. <laughs> put the best construction on everything. I, I really like that language. You know, explain everything in the kindest way, okay. You know, but that sense of you're building somebody and you're building your mental model and your mental image of who that person is in your head. Construct them with kindness and mercy, you know, and say good things about them. Um, this is, I think, particularly important uh, in our marriages. You know, um, when I do pre-marriage counseling, one of the things I always tell the, the, uh, the, the couples is to make sure that they speak well of each other when they're with their friends. You know, I, I mean, how often have you seen people get together and they're just grousing about their spouse left, right, and center? You know, there's a, there's a feedback loop there, you know. Um, and uh, I think it's really important as we construct that mental model of our, our spouse that you know we, we, we do that rightly and speak well of one another um in, in, anything else on uh, verse one because i'm cruising right along or you'll start to get a good idea anyhow yeah It's very important, yeah, absolutely. Ed? Yeah, I, I need a better understanding of that word righteous because I've always 
seeing that is, is really attached to the past. Okay. And, and the way you use it, it sounds like it's closer to saved or justified. And I never thought of righteous as meaning that. Yeah. Wrong. I don't know. So we, the word righteous, it gets used in a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a sense of righteousness that, <clears throat> if you want to put a finer point on it, you might call it civic righteousness. Mm-hmm. And so this is the good behavior that we show when we're dealing with one another. Mm-hmm. Anybody can be civically righteous doesn't matter what their religion is, it doesn't matter anything that they believe, but they can behave in such a way that they do good right. toward Not other people. That's true, that's true. And so there's this other kind of righteousness. Paul talks about it, um, he really expounds upon it, those first eight chapters. It's the righteousness that comes by faith. So it's really Christ's righteousness that is imparted to us. So this is what's described in Romans 6 when it says that I've been baptized into Christ. And it's not just I'm baptized into Christ, I'm baptized into his death. And, you know, so having died with Christ, I might walk in newness of life. It's this whole new right relationship with God that is rooted in what Jesus has done for us and being declared righteousness. So... Um, the other, one of the other examples from the, those earlier chapters, I think it's chapter 4, talks about Abraham. Um, you know, God makes these promises to Abraham, and it says that Abraham believed God, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So there are, there are two kinds of righteousness. There's the righteousness that reconciles us to God, and that has everything to do with what Jesus has done, and we contribute nothing to that. But there's another righteousness that should flow from that in how we treat our neighbor, and it is rooted in love. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's two separate things. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not completely disconnected from each other, but, you know, they're not the same. You know, there, there's, there's a different kind of qualification there in terms of how one becomes one or the other. Yeah. Or both. Yeah. So, um, when, we, when we continue our way through this, one of the things I want you to notice, he starts to get into what some of these disputed items would be. There's these disputed matters. These are matters that the scripture does not command a certain outcome. This is, this is not, you know, feel free to dishonor your parents. You know, it, it, it's, it's not, um, go ahead and kill that person that's really bothering you. You know, God has spoken clearly on those matters. This is disputed stuff, and he talks about food. Now, the Jewish people had some very profound rules about food. And so we might look at that and say, well, are are these disputed matters? Well, yes, they are, because of what Jesus did. You know, in Mark chapter 7, he talks about how with food, it's something that we take in and we expel, which I really enjoyed my teacher talking about that when I was in sixth grade, and he's like, you get what I mean? You get what I mean? No, no. 
explain it a little bit more. <laughs> you know, it's a it's one tube from top to bottom, and you know, it, and uh, it, it says in Mark chapter seven that in saying this, Jesus declared all foods to be clean. So all of those laws that were in the Old Testament about you know don't eat this, don't eat that. Jesus takes those and sets them aside. That is something that has changed. Now, if you grew up Jewish and you detested the idea of eating pork and you refuse to ever eat that, does that mean you have weak faith? No. No. Does that mean you're less of a Christian? No. No, not at all. you know, and for, for some people, you know, if you read the book of Daniel, you know, they were brought, uh, the, the, the young men were brought as captives to Nineveh and they were fed from the king's table and there were all kinds of foods that were considered to be unclean from the king's table. And Daniel and, uh, and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Tebedwego, um, they, uh, <laughs> um, they really struggled with this and they said, uh, we don't want to eat these things, they're unclean please just give us vegetables. And they thrived. Oh, their choice was rooted in their faith and that was commanded then. So if you got somebody else who's looking at that now and saying, I'm going to follow a vegetarian diet because I feel that this is the the healthiest and kind of, you know, best way to exercise my faith. Does that mean that they're weird or messed up in the head? No. No, they've just made a different choice about something that ultimately does not matter in terms of our righteousness before God. Although I suspect most of us could stand to eat more vegetables. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, I think if we take the information that we get from 1 Corinthians... I think that this is referring specifically to meat that's sacrificed to idols. I, I think that, you know, I think that the context that he was in when he wrote this is influencing what he's talking about here. And so in a lot of these major cities where there are other gods and they're offering sacrifices to them, that became where the meat market got a lot of their meat. And so it would be, in a sense, unethically sourced. Um, because it was, uh, you know, sacrificed to a different god, you know, which we would look at and say it was sacrificed to demons. And there's, you know, so because it was part of the sacrifice, they don't want to participate in that. So I'm not going to participate in that. Okay. On the other hand, you look at that and you're like, that's a nice pork chop. And God gave all of this to us and I don't give a rip about where it was sacrificed or who it was sacrificed to because my God is the God over all of those things and I'm more than glad to eat that thing medium rare, thank you very much. What do you call the first description of meat? Well, that's what I'm I, Is that how he puts it? He says, while one who is meat eats only vegetables. Yeah. So I think he's saying if you've got the boldness and I'm not sh- so you look at that, that piece of meat and you say, you know, those 
demons are nothing compared to God, so bring on the bacon. That he, I think he would say that that is greater faith. So. I, I think I can remember way back actually being a little surprised at the idea of the people. Yeah. And then that sort of grew into, well, if they didn't eat the meat, how could people believe they were actually alive? You know, yeah. there seemed a sort of a disconnect there. For those of you who are reading the old, you know, reading the, through the Bible with me, um, Israel's sacrifices, who ate them? The priests. The priests took a portion of it, and who else? The families in the community. Yeah. Yeah. The priests, their families, and depending upon the sacrifice, the people who offered the sacrifice would take some. So, you know, because it was like a thank offering, that's a party. Yeah. You know, because uh, you're not eating a whole goat by yourself. You know, it, it, it's, it's a big deal. But the catch in that is that God was pleased with the aroma. Yeah. What, you don't like the smell of barbecue? <laughs> I, I really do, but that was a kind of attribute that you could smell. <laughs> I often think about I, I, I often think about, you know, the blood and the flies and the stuff like that that would have to be involved with the sacrifice itself. The pleasing aroma is over there at the, uh, at the altar when the meat goes on. Yeah, you should be. No, because, I mean, think about the linen ephod and everything. Um, yeah. Yeah, and those have to be washed. I always assumed that the bird offerings were reduced to the inedible. Some of them, yes. Some of them. Yeah, but not all of them. And some of the burnt offerings are just parts. Some of the burnt offerings were just parts that were burnt. Oh, okay. Kidneys, fat. Right. You know, that type of thing. Right. So. I can just share to what Sue asked earlier. Yeah. So, in India, for example, right? So. We have a lot of Hindus, uh, and we have a lot of sweets that, that get exchanged during festivals. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have, you know, like Pastor said, you have Christians who can just eat it and say, yep, I don't care if it's offered to idols or not. But then there are other Christians who see you eating that and say, hey, you know, you're not supposed to eat that. And I guess you have to be conscious sometimes where you are, especially if it's a, uh, a new Christian coming in so that they don't get offended, hey, he's eating food, but she's eating food off her diet. So this is just an example. Yep. The other item that he uh, uh, talks about here is Sabbath. And uh, this one's, this one's extra interesting because there's an actual uh, commandment of the Ten Commandments that deals with the Sabbath. And uh, Jesus sets aside the Sabbath by saying that he is the Lord of the Sabbath and doing things that shouldn't be done on the Sabbath. And what he does is he actually makes it clear that every day is a day for worship. And the particular day that you gather upon is not at the heart of the matter. In fact, which day is the Sabbath day? Saturday. And we're here on... Why? No, no, it wasn't that, because the first Christians were Jewish. 
because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And, and so the early church started saying, uh, it's not just a matter of this is the day God rested. This is the day he gave us salvation. Christ has won the victory. And from very, very early on, we know that the church gathered on Sunday to worship. Um, for those of you who haven't gone to church yet, when we're doing the communion liturgy, um, it's the, uh, I think it's the, the preface, the proper preface. Um, listen to the language of, of that because there's a thing in there about the day Jesus rose from the dead. Um, you know, so that, I mean, that's even built into our liturgy to understand why we're there on this day. So, okay, uh, I've got to wrap it up there. Um, it's time to go back to church. Um, I'll be back sometime November-ish, I think. Uh, but uh, I'm going to uh, be with the kids. You're welcome to sit for story time next week. It'll be, it'll be a good time. And uh, I'm going to read a couple of stories to the kids and spend some time with the little ones. Um, and then the week after that, I'm going to be with the confirmation class. I want to talk with the parents before we get started. And, and then uh, it's Labor Day weekend. And then we're back into Sunday school. And I think Bob is going to teach in here that he's going to do the, uh, the lessons of the day. You know, so should be good. All right, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could be here today. We pray that you would bless your word and that you would help us to live as your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.